to the Revolution Church Podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. Fourth of July, alone on the Fourth of July, one man brave enough to go on Facebook on the Fourth of July. Oh, good morning, good morning, Sonny. Hello, Roberta. Bob, good to see you, buddy. Wow, we're all saying good morning. Kate is my English friend. I can't wait to grow up one day and move to Belfast and celebrate 4th of July with the UKers. <laughs> Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Beth. All right, everybody. Well, welcome to Revolution. Where is Caleb again? Well, Caleb was at the bus station today, and the bus never came. So... We don't know what's going on over there in Seattle with those buses, but the buses did not make it out. So he got stuck at the bus station by overly encouraging other riders who were like, don't worry, the bus is going to come. But the bus never came. So, um, 4th of July, growing up the way I did, the 4th of July was insane when I was a kid. And one of my memories from the 4th of July is I think my mom was out of town. And so me and my dad were going to do the show together. And, um, this was back when I was a little kid and I knew we were going to set off fireworks. So I asked my dad if he, they would tape one of my spacemen had this little space action figure to one of the fireworks. So they would go to space and, um, you know what happened? We did. We, 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 and my dad announced it on TV, but you know, then just now looking back, I just blew up a spaceman. Um, you know, and I think about the guys doing the fireworks, they're like, what the hell? But it was cool because, you know, my dad was like, yeah, let's do it. You know, so that's always fun when your parents decide to do crazy things with you, right? And so there you go. That was my Fourth of July story. Had a lot of fireworks blow up in my hands. Um, especially, you know, growing up in the South, man, as soon as it like even gets near July, there's like fireworks stands everywhere. Pretty awesome. Um, so we did a lot of that. A lot of those snappies when I was a kid, you know, those little white things, the snap poppets. I got some uh, for my kids. But so anyway, you know what my plans are for 4th of July is to sleep. Um, and you go, well, Jay, why would you do that? Well, I'll tell you why. Um, the kids had school off, had daycare off this past week. And so, woo, we had to come up with a lot of different ideas of fun things to do with no daycare. And so that's like, you know, about 5.30, 6 a.m., you start moving. And then you got to come up with things to do. 
and and we try to go outside and and play and not have too much TV time, but it's tough, you know. Um, and you have a small apartment, but we made, we, we did. And then we went out to the park that had a splash pad that I didn't realize had a splash pad. And Milo decided to just enjoy the splash pad, even though he didn't have his bathing suit. So that was fun. But no, we had a good time. We always do. My kiddos are, man, I love my kids and they're a lot of fun, um, but they are exhausting. And when you're like an introvert like me that barely sees people, you know, then you get these two little love sponges, which is great. And, uh, we, we they wear me out, but we have such a good time together. <clears throat> um, the fact that they're so darn cute doesn't hurt either. And um, yeah, the other night we read um, the monster at the end of the book with Grover, you know. And my gosh, they giggled. They both giggled, and they've read the book before. But man, they giggled all the way through, and it was just like just melted my heart and um and, and then they had me get a, the grover stuffed animal that i actually bought before milo was born for him and to read it in the grover voice which i sometimes do but um but i uh but many kept punching grover so we had to end story time early but now we're doing stories on the phone as well because uh, I read them and then we listen to a little thing and I'll fall asleep. So it's anyway, I don't know why I'm, I'm confessing all this to you probably because I don't have a whole lot prepared because I spent all week dadding. Um, so it's the 4th of July. I'm going to probably try to rest today. I took some coffee. That's why I have the energy that I have right now, but then it made me a little sick. So then I drank water and water is quite an amazing thing. Um, it really does get rid of the sickness the nausea from the too much coffee, but now I have energy and I'll have to pee a lot. Um, the quality you've come to expect from Revolution Church. So yeah, Caleb missed the bus today. That's okay. Life happens. Um, so I, I, I've never been a holiday celebrator as far as like talks which is really tough because most religious people want the religious holidays to you to talk about them. And I've just never, I've never liked that. I've never liked to be forced into this is what you're going to talk about. Um, it's just not my thing. So, Oh, which reminds me is, is I want to talk to you, Steve soon, but sorry, I didn't call you this week. Cause I was just dadding. I get so tired literally by the end of the day. It's, it's amazing. Um, how, how tired you can get from just playing all day. Um, and trying to figure out what your kids will eat. That's also fun. So I guess we have a little bit to go. Y'all get to hear me read today. Um, We're going to read from John 4. Uh, so, you guys know what John 4 is? It's the story at the women at the well. The story of the woman at the well. Uh, I like my Bible. It says it's, it has it labeled Jesus and the woman of Samaria, which I think is pretty cool. 
um, because we see an evolution of Jesus in the Bible of starting to be inclusive towards non-Jews, but he's not always that way. And uh, so, because Jesus would take some time. It's interesting how human Jesus is and that we forget about it. I was also thinking about doing a, a talk about Jesus's politics, Jesus and politics today, but I thought that was a little too on the nose um, with the holiday. <laughs> and um, but it's interesting. I'm just going to throw this out there to think about, but also his lack of political interests, which I think is interesting to me because I feel like everybody in politics wants to adopt Jesus into their politics. And what happens is when it feels like reminds me of Tillich talks about the God that you find after the, after God dies, that there's another, like there's something beyond that. The God after God. And I felt like Jesus saw something of like humanity after politics. And I feel like so many of us put so much faith into the political ideas and thoughts that we sometimes allow that to be the top. And then Jesus is like, yeah, we'll just keep you here in case. And I feel like Jesus was always moving here. And I kind of want to talk about that, but it's going to take a lot of, um, a lot of study. So we're going to do that soon. Um, so Jesus and uh, the woman of Samaria, John 4. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making uh, baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but the disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. Now, this is interesting because a lot of times Jews, uh, when they were traveling from Judea to Galilee, they would walk through Samaria. They would walk around it because they didn't want to be seen and, and, and hang out with Samaritans. I mean, this was a very separated culture. And I think we, we, we sometimes forget, like, cultural context. Like, these people weren't living very long lives. Um, these folks were were very suspicious of one another. Um so, you know, when we look at the context of what was going on, it's, it's different than our context in some ways and then very similar in other ways. But it was like Samaria was like the bad town for, for a lot of Jews. Um, and so they're like, oh, we don't want to go through that area. Um, but Je that's why it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Um, so he had to go through Samaria city called uh, Sachar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired, tired out by his journey, was sitting at the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. Now that part you want to remember, his disciples had gone to the city to buy food. Remember that as we talk about this. Um, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you are a Jew asking for a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? 
Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God who is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our ancestors Jacob, who gave us this well with his sons and his flocks to drink from? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of my water that I will give from will never thirst. The water that I will give them becomes them a spring of water, gushing up eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me some of this water so that I may never be thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Interestingly enough, one of the reasons that this woman is at the well at noon is because she's an outcast amongst her own people. Um, You get that through studying context and history and customs. Um, And so... so she's alone. She's, you know, not does not fit in with her community. And Jesus is here asking her for water. And now he's basically witnessing to her, telling her about it, telling him, would you like to know me as your personal savior? Um, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the places where people must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship when you will worship that uh, the father's father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you worship what you do not know we worship what we do know for, for salvation comes from the Jews but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for the father seeks much as these to worship him. Now, one of the things I, I want to stop here for a second is, is the, the, the amazingness of Jesus basically always kind of being secretive about his, his you know, don't tell anybody I did this, don't do that, you know. And then he finds this wonderful, you know, this woman who's, who's coming to get water, who's by herself, and decide just to tell her the whole plan. Like, this is this is what's going to happen. It's not going to matter where you worship. All this stuff is bullshit. I've come to show it. You know, we're going to draw these lines down. You know, later this guy Paul is going to say, neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. You know, this stuff is, the law is about to change. And he's telling this to, to, to this stranger, to this Samaritan, to this person who feels like an outcast. And this is the person Jesus chooses to tell the truth. And for me, this is the reason why, why else would Jesus go through Samaria? Because they have a good well. Um, 
And we're going to talk about the five husbands, too, in a second. I've had two wives, so that was Jesus. You have two wives, and the woman you're seeing right now is not even your wife. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Jesus was a bit intense, right? Um, God is in spirit of those who worship him, must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. So, Jesus knows who this woman is, knows her history, knows her life, knows she's living with the man she's not married to, and says, oh, by the way, I am Jesus. I am the one you're looking for. So if this gives you an idea of what Christianity is. When people say, I want to be Christ-like, this is what Jesus did, is he found the outcast. I mean, you think about Matthew as well. Like, Matthew's in the midst of tax collecting, and Jesus says, come be my disciple. You know, this is the religion that we want to follow is one that reaches the outcast. But sometimes the outcasts change. Because sometimes the people who are the ruling party decide that other different people are outcasts. So Jesus is always with the outcast. Jesus is always going out to them and, and often rebuking the religious leaders and often kind of, eh, to the, to the, to the political leaders. He's kind of, give to them what's theirs. You know, I, I don't care about that. Get, you know, what I care about is these people, these folks. And sometimes Jesus has to have to be reminded a little bit, like when uh, the woman says, "Can you know, even dogs get crumbs from the table. But Jesus is very interesting in this way. Um, this is another interesting part here in 27. Then Jesus and his disciples came, then Jesus, his disciples came, and they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the women left her water jar and went back to the city. And she said to the people, come and see the man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and they were there on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, I love the disciples. Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Um, and I'm going to end there for a minute. I might just end there completely. But here's the interesting thing to me. Is uh, Jesus is saying, I always like this part is like, how does Jesus get fed? Does Jesus go and worship or do this? No. Jesus finds the outcast, finds the person who doesn't feel like they belong, and gives them hope. That's where he gets his feeding from. That's where he gets his nourishment from. You know, I remember growing up and Christians were like, ah, I want to go to that service. I just get so fed at that service. You know, so you get fed by hearing about God. Yes, yes, that's how I get fed. Now, I'm not saying that's not a good analogy. But what I'm saying is for Jesus was, is it was giving hope to the hopeless. That was his thing. So there's a couple other things we need to look at, though. One is, um, 
the woman at the well. Now, this does, and, and her five husbands. Now, to this, explaining this doesn't mean as much to me anymore. I actually prefer that she is just in really weird marriages. But more than likely, and this is a really very sad thing at the time, is that she wasn't able to have children. And so she was seen, and women didn't have a really big place in that world. Um, there was no hierarchy for them. And the best thing they had was to produce children. And if they couldn't produce children, they were seen as worthless. So not only do you have someone who's like been married five times, but probably been married five times because she was seen as being worthless. You know? And now in a relationship with someone because... Well, you're not going to have children, so we'll just be together. You know, so this is the type of thing that Jesus is someone's talking to. But this is also someone who lives in re in a real world of her time. You know, and the thing about this is if most pastors were talking to somebody who had been married five times and then said they were living with their husband, they're not going to give them the keys to the kingdom, right? But that's exactly what Jesus does. So to notice this is to see how far we've gotten away from the original message of Jesus. You know, growing up, it was always like, don't hang out with those people. Don't do this and don't do that. You know, and then when I started reading the Gospels for myself, I'm like, I've been told most of my life growing up to do exactly the opposite of what Jesus did. Um, to not give hope to people, to not hang out with the wrong people, to not be of bad reputation, to not be think of a drunkard, to not be thought of, have people think bad thoughts about me. And that's all that Jesus was. I mean, I think Jesus would have been probably canceled out by a lot of us at this time, because I don't think Jesus probably would have speak, spoken politically as much as we wanted Jesus to, even though we have the tendency to, to, to um, project our own political thoughts and ideas onto Jesus. Um, we all do that. We don't want to admit that we do that. You know, when I was more of a conservative guy, I could tell you Jesus was just like this. And now that I'm more of a liberal guy, I can tell you Jesus is just like this. You know what I mean? But it's like, but both times I was doing some projections. So the, for me is to be a critical thinker and ask tough questions. And not a lot of people don't want to ask those tough questions because it makes them feel weird. And we, of course we want Jesus to be on our side. Right. Um, but the other thing is, is, as you notice, the disciples aren't with Jesus when he, no one, it's just Jesus and this woman who are having this conversation. Um, so one of the things you realize is that someone had to tell this story. Uh, this story that we're reading here in, in, in John 4. So it was either the disciples retold the story. It's either the, the woman at the well was retelling this story more than, more than likely because she, there's such great detail. Um, you know, or some of her Samaritan neighbors, you know, but it says here that the Samaritans all showed up. Like she went down and told all the Samaritans, they all came up to meet Jesus, but they didn't necessarily believe her because they thought, oh, well, you know, it's a woman and she's really, she can't even have children. Why would we believe her? You know, but they come and a lot of them are convinced that, oh, wow, this is the Messiah. You know, I like this. I like that Jesus doesn't use perfect people. I like that Jesus uses people that would probably make most church people uncomfortable, period. And that Jesus like gets someone like a tax collector who's a betrayer to their own society. So, you know, the liberals would be uncomfortable with Matthew, 
And then you've got someone like this where the conservative evangelicals will be like, well, bitch, look what she's doing. She's living with a man. You know, I like that Jesus uses these people and doesn't give a damn about membership, doesn't give a damn about, you know, or, or, well, are you guys having sex or are you guys doing this or, you know, Jesus doesn't just doesn't seem to care at this point to say this is who I am. You need hope. I had to come here to tell you particularly that you are the hope. I'm the Messiah. Here you go. You know, and you've been living in a pretty hopeless world where people have just been, you know, not spending time with you and telling you you're worthless. And you know what? I'm here to tell you that you're worth enough for me to come down and tell you that I am the Messiah. I am the son of God. You know, whether you believe that or not, Jesus is saying, I'm here to tell you that this is to me the most important thing. And here it is. That's Christianity. That's good news. That's hope for the hopeless. Now, I was kind of <clears throat> thinking about this today, and I talked to Pete a little bit earlier, and we were kind of joking about, like, you know, if Jesus was an exaggerator, you know, like, when he told stories, and, um, you know, he's kind of like, oh, yeah, and then she said, and you're like, oh, Jesus, are you sure you didn't come up with this later, like, when you were taking a shower and thought what you wanted to say, like, did you exaggerate a little bit, maybe? Because um, he had to get this, or like when Jesus is in front of um, Caesar, you know, and and, the, and, the, and Jesus is like, what is truth? You know, that kind of thing. Like, because no one is in that room with them. So somebody had to tell that story for that story to be written. Or it's fiction. You know, those are the things. Or, or it's just like, I think this is what happened. Or Jesus was like, yeah. And then I said, anyway, that's kind of a joke. But, you know, is Jesus an exaggerator? Maybe, maybe not. Probably not. Fingers crossed. But I like the idea that, you know, basically he probably had to sit down with the disciples and say, all right, guys, this is why I was talking to this woman. You know, or they probably eventually were like, why were you talking to that woman at the well? You know, you're not supposed to do this because we all like to be morality police. And that's what they're doing is they're being the morality police. His disciples are always confused, can't figure out one minute what he's doing the next second. You know, he's like, oh, that's like they're trying to figure out like who he claims to be the Messiah. He must be the Messiah. I mean, even to the point when Jesus is like, ascending in the story and they're like surely that was the son of god i'm like well I, i'd say if he rose from the dead and is floating in the air yeah there's a probably good chance that he's something close to what he said um but i i i like the idea that even jesus had like these people who were like trying to like the the, the pc or the moral police of like is he doing what's right you know, and Jesus is like, yeah, you know, we sat down. I told her about her life and this is what I told her. You know, and they must have thought like, wait a second. You told her that she, she, you knew she was married to five different men and that she's living with this guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's when I told her I was Jesus. Wait, wait, you tell us not to tell other people that. Well, you know, I I figured it was, you know, get to, but the Samaritans, really? Oh, yeah, 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 the Samaritans. And she didn't belong, but the Samaritans don't. She was an outcast even amongst the outcasts? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I told her, hey, go and tell everybody. I'm Jesus, you know, and I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you're looking for. And I, I even told her that, you know, after me, we can worship anywhere. It doesn't matter certain places and things and holidays. All that stuff doesn't matter. I, I mean, I told her the whole story. You know, and it, you have to think, like, when these guys are writing this down, they're like, do we really want to write this down? Like, that's probably why I think Jesus wasn't it exaggerating or if he was he liked to get the goat out of his guys but probably not but the fact that he was saying this was the truth like 
oh, what you thought? Why am I talking to a woman alone? Because you thought, oh, I'm up to no good. Like, oh, yeah, she was, she's, yeah, she's a woman who's lived a lot of life, you know? Yeah, what you were worried about. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that was, yeah, sure. Why not? And, but he takes it and he flips it. And he says, but I just showed her her humanity. I showed her that she was a human being, that she was worthy of love, that she was worthy of being talked to, that she's worthy to be a leader, that she's worried, worthy of being followed, that she's worthy of having the truth. I just wanted to let her know that she's a human being and that that's what most human beings deserve. You know, so he humanized her. He didn't make her, you know, he said, yes, these are the truths about you. But what's more important is what I want to tell you that I've chosen you to, to, to tell my truth to. You know, I've chosen you to tell you what that is about. And, um, I like the idea of Jesus sitting down with these guys and telling them this, and they're just kind of like constantly trying to figure him out. And I wish we had more mystery like that in Christianity. You know, I wish the church embraced stuff like this a little bit more. I remember speaking at a church called Jacob's Well, and I actually gave this talk there. And it was pretty fun to do, especially because that was like their, their vision. Um, but this idea that Jesus is constantly having to explain himself to his followers. And like often like their suspicions are true, you know, like, oh yeah, you know. Um, we, we, we were sharing, oh yeah, we were sharing a meal. Oh yeah, we were doing this thing, you know. It's just like Jesus didn't care what you thought, didn't care what his disciples thought. Uh, in some ways, Jesus, at least as a human being, seemed confident to believe what he believed and confident in himself and also confident in himself enough to take rebukes and to think things through and to have difficult conversations and, 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 and valued there was something about the value of people who felt like they didn't belong or that they had gone too far. And Jesus was like, going like, no, you can never go too far. So it, why I had to read Paul to understand grace is because Paul put words to grace. You know what I'm saying? Like Paul gave me the concept of what this is, what grace is. But when we look at stories like this, we see Jesus living grace. And that's like when I grew up with my folks, they didn't talk a lot about grace but they showed it in some of their actions when I was a kid. And that's why this thing kind of made sense to me when it really hit me. I go, oh, this is why they A, B, and C, you know? And so when I read Paul, I was able to kind of look back and go, oh, these are the moments that Jesus is showing complete grace. He, you know, there's not a section in here where he said, and then he told him, you need to go marry that man you're living with. There's not a moment of that. You know, there's not a moment where he corrects her and says, yeah, you've been really bad because you've done this. He's like, no, this is where you've been through. This is where you've done. And now let's get past that and talk about who I am. Well, I'm waiting for the Christ. Well, I am the Christ, you know. And so giving this complete truth to her is such a moment of grace and such a reality. And I think about how many people we as the church have thrown away because they didn't live up to our standards because we wanted to raise the bar. How many times have you heard, like, we've got to raise the standard of Christianity, you know? And, and the standard just swifts and changes whoever is like the most influential. So it's like if conservatives are the most influential, then here's the standard. If, 
if liberals are more the power, this is the here we've got to raise the standard, you know. And Jesus is just saying, no, what we've got to do is we've got to probably just lower the standard a little bit. There really is no standard of of of, of, of a lifestyle that I'm I'm requiring for people to know the truth and to express the truth, or people I can use. Um, I use people who are traitors to their own people. Um, or seen as that, you know, I use zealots too, who want to kill those people. You know, I use people who are enemies to work with me. Um, I choose women at the well who, who have to go in the afternoon because they have no reputation. You know, this is, this is who I have to, you know, this is who I use, you know, this, these are the people, these are the people who I've come for. Um, I loved it when the when 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 the Pharisees asked one of the disciples, "Is why does your teacher eat with people like that? Why does he?" And the New Living said, "Such scum." And Jesus turns around and goes, "Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call sinners, but get this: he goes, not those who think they're good enough." So that's the problem: is we get caught up in the idea where we think we're the ones good enough. You know, we become that Pharisee praying, going, uh, well, thank God I'm not like that sinner over there. Thank goodness. And that's just falling apart, weeping. I'm a piece of crow. You know, and thank God I'm not that person. And that's who we've become. Thank God I'm not that political party. Thank God I'm not bad as them, you know. And for me, I'm going like, that's not what it's about. We've lost. It's about loving each other. It's about living in community. It's about praying for those who persecute us. You know, it's about saying I have to go through Samaria because there's someone who feels like a piece of shit and I need to let them know that it doesn't, that's, that all those lies in their head are just that, just lies. You know, um, their worth isn't based on what other people think about them. And I think Jesus was, was able to do that within his own lifetime was to say, I'm not going to live into others' expectations of who I am. And I am going to let other people know that they do not need to live within the expectations that others put on them. And I think Paul took this to another level. And I think this is why it's so interesting to understand the Bible is that it's not this tale about, it's, it's not a purity tale, you know, it, 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 it's not about how good you can be or how bad you can be. It, 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 it's it, it's a tale of letting people know they're loved, they're cared for, you know, and that when he confronts people, he confronts them. And when they when he starts to realize that they're a part of a process that that leaves people out, you know, um, when 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 Jesus sees, you know, tells tells um, Pharisees is like, you know, you cross the sea to make people into twice the sons of hell than you are you know what are you doing you know you know it was this constant of your dividing your 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 sowing discord amongst humanity so for me it's hope it's grace why i talk about grace is because it's the main thing that is sown into this faith and this idea and so what i want to do is challenge people like you know i, I believe in dialectics very strongly because I sometimes have faith and sometimes don't have faith. You know, sometimes I believe God is there and sometimes I don't believe. And sometimes at the same time, I have both that dialectic, you know, two opposites are true. Uh, Tillich's God 
after you've lost God idea is true. You know, it's there. It's real. It's a real thing to me. Um, I know this isn't your normal Sunday, 4th of July talk, but whatever. So here's the, the idea is, is that I know I, I probably sound like a broken record, but what I, what I desperately hope for and desperately want is that reformation in our church happens, that we reform as the church through these types of understandings, through the ideas of dialectic through the ideas of who Jesus reached out to and who Jesus talked to, that we see these things and we allow Jesus also his ideas to be this kind of kind of trump card for things. That's why I, I always why I condemn the pastoral epistles. Because it sets up a system that's not Christianity to me, that doesn't represent Paul, that doesn't represent Christ. And things like that. I think you could even argue that in some of maybe even a little bit with James and a little bit with Peter and different things like that. That we realize is that Jesus' message is so radical and it's so freeing and it's so self-accepting that it puts us all on our own journeys in a way. And it seems like some of the writers in the New Testament and in the Old Testament as well try to corral things back in. Like we've just got to have a little bit more control. We just got to have a little bit, you know, because this is kind of yucky and everybody's judging us because we're this religion. You know, I mean, what was the first 400 years of Christianity? It was a nonviolent religion that Christians in some places were taxed more because they refused to fight because they were conscientious objectors. You know, we don't realize that. But over time, we figured out ways to justify war and justify killing and justify this. And, you know, go, well, look at this and look at this. And, well, if you go into the Old Testament, you know, we go back there. And like, well, we'll just leave Jesus out of this for a minute because, you know, loving enemies is good, but we do need a reason to defend ourselves and kill other people. And so I just don't think anybody can fully grasp, and myself included, the complete radicality of who Jesus was and what Jesus said and what Jesus did. Because it's this constant thing of like, who is the outcast? And the outcast in this, in our time and life is so different to a lot of us, depending on where, what we believe, what we think, our politics, what we experienced growing up, all these different things become the outcast becomes a different person who we're going to reach, you know? And so it's tough. And so we all have our kind of our, our own cross to bear. You know, we all kind of have to die to ourselves, but in our very individualistic way. I mean, seriously, like we can have community think, and I think that's very important. And we try to do that here, but it's also this individualistic thing of going like, this person might not be the outcast of these folks, but to me, they really are. And this is the person I need to be praying for and loving and telling the truth to and having the conversations with. I want this to stretch you. I know it's kind of like, heady and like kind of loose and, and, and I'm not giving you these solid answers. You know, I'm not putting it in a nice box. I never put a bow on my talks. Um, I'm surprised actually anybody listens. I'm, I'm grateful for, I have 12 people just like Jesus did right now listening. Um, and I'm grateful for that. I think there's something to this. Even when I, my moments of great disbelief, I still believe there's something to this religion and something to Jesus and something to the Apostle Paul and to the saints. And it's why I keep it in my life, even when I struggle with it or if I don't believe it or I feel 
separate from it, I still think it's an important tool. Just like I think Hegel is an important tool that I'm trying to learn about. You know, I think there are answers that lie within these texts that tell us the truth of humanity and allow us to see one another as human beings, but will challenge us so will be such a challenge to us to get outside of our comfort zone, out of our prejudice, out of our, out of our, even out of our own convictions will, will challenge us to get out and love those who seem like they, they go against everything we believe, you know, but that's where revolution begins. That's where reformation begins. That's where redemption begins is through those movements. You know, God doesn't, or Jesus or whatever, you know, we, we, no, we don't know who's going to use who. For an example, for me, it's like, I didn't, I, you know, I always hoped as a kid that there was going to be a church that would come along and be like, we've got to restore the Baker family and, you know, maybe make some facts right, you know. And that never happened, you know. Even the, the people that I'm more comfortable with still talk shit about my parents, you know. But, you know, there were two gay filmmakers who said we need to do something to tell about talk about Tammy Faye and her family and what they went through and and, and it's a company called World of Wonder uh, Randy and Fenton and they put out a, a documentary now Hollywood a star the starlet you know Jessica Chastain says saw that documentary was drawn into my mother and said we need to tell people this story this story hasn't been told so now I'm looking at like people who are restoring my family not church people, but people who are filmmakers and in Hollywood, you know? So to give you an idea, like for me, this experience is really true that it's not the church that shows up to share, you know, to show redemption. It's those who are listening, anyone who are listening and sees a truth who is willing to show redemption shows redemption. And that might be the last person you expect or it might be you showing it to someone else who doesn't expect it. For me, it's a, quite a way to live. I, I, one day my son had finished some of his food and I was like, dad, 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 are you proud of me? Look, I finished the whole wall. And I said, yeah, said, oh yeah, I'm proud of you, buddy. Good job. And then it, it hit me and I turned around and I said, buddy, there's something you need to know. And he's like, what is that, dad? Gotten kind of nervous. And I said, so I'm always proud of you. You know, I'm just proud to have you in my life. I'm proud to be in your life. I'm proud for everything you do because I love you so completely. And I always remind my kids that because I always want them to know that they'll always be loved and always accepted and they're always going to have somebody who out there who believes in them and is proud of them, you know? And honestly, that's what I kind of hope we get a glimpse of that in our work and what we do with other people, you know? I think that was the goal here when Jesus went through Samaria and was talking to the woman at the well. Is he saying to her, yeah, you know, you've had a really tough go of things. But I want to use you. I'm proud of you. I want I want you to be the one who's my ambassador to your community. You know, even though your community doesn't want to be seen with you, I want you to go back to your community and be the ambassador to this community. Um. I'm going to, you know, Jesus, uh, I think of that redemption song by Bob Marley. You know, it's just like, I'm going to be, you know, you're going to redeem your community. The one that they thought was unredeemable is going to be the one who comes in and redeems the community and tells the community who's there. Because no one in that community, whether they uh, 
believed it or not, they still showed up, which shows that they had some inkling of faith and hope that she was telling the truth. So, so yeah, that's my talk today, is, is this loosey-goosey talk about who are we loving and and also who did Jesus have to continue to like tell the story to for it to get written down because Jesus obviously saw this was an important story and that we should be talking about it and that we should be living it and so Jesus found it important enough not to tell the, not, not to play coy with the disciples like he like oh I have food you don't know about or don't ask any questions or ask the question back to them obviously Jesus sat down with them or someone sat down and said this is what happened this is the good news and we have to hold on to these moments that shine like this, that shine in a world that, that shows the contradiction of humanity, that Jesus uses contradictions, that Jesus uses people, period. Not good people, not bad people. So, you know, I, I think, honestly, I, I'm at the point in my life where I, I think about fallen pastors and things like that and people who make mistakes. And the fact that we act shocked and all grasp our pearls when it happens, to me, is insane. To me, it should be like, of course, they're human beings. Of course, they have sexual drive. You know, of course, they, they did this. Of course, they were, oh, they had a lot of money and they, they got screwed up because there wasn't accountability in the right places. And yeah, I don't know what I would do in that place. Like, it shouldn't be one of these things where we're shocked and you know we go oh you know we'll help next time you know we get it we're all human beings we all fall short we all have these desires and things that we these voids that we're trying to fill with things you know and um we should be willing to kind of try to empathize with people and put our shoes put our shoe put step into their shoes for a second you know Rather than sitting here and judging, you know, it's like it's really easy for me to sit on my chair and judge billionaires for like, look at those jerks. They want to go to space. Oh, my God. They don't even pay taxes. You know, like it's easy for me to do that. You know, but I'm not a billionaire who has no money, all this money to be like, well, maybe I'll just go to space, you know, or. You know, maybe I'll buy rare first copies of Paul Tillich that I can't read. You know, whatever you, you would do with a lot of money. Um, I'll get a 49 Mercury and drive around for Jesus. You know, whatever. But, but that's the idea is that it's easy for us to judge from the comforts of our own home or from the pews or different things like that. But I don't think what we don't realize is, and I'm going to go off on a little side note here, and, and forgive me. We can edit this out if we need to, but, you know, when people go, I have so much trauma from the church, but what we don't realize is that often when we have so much trauma from the church, but we're also part of creating trauma for other people because the church is people. So often the congregation puts trauma on the leadership and the leadership puts trauma on the community. There's often a shared trauma going on because we're human beings trying to work things out, figure things out. And then we don't meet eye to eye, and there's a shared trauma. And um, so I like the idea of individual understandings and convictions and things like that, but I also like the idea of seeing the other as human and giving them grace 
and it being a two-way street there, so we're able to say we're not only being we're not only being traumatized, but maybe we're also part of causing trauma in other people's lives. You know, it, it just equals equals things out. It's hard for us to see because this culture really is very individualistic when it comes to that type of thing. And um, it's tough. Living in grace is tough. Being a Christian in the sense of the Bible that I really under how I understand it is tough. There is a toughness to it, but it's not the toughness I grew up with. For me, it's the toughness of loving people more and more and more and more and then trying to understand and have deep conversations, you know, and trying to learn to disagree well, um, you know, and trying not to get hung up on people's mistakes, you know, and marking them with it because that's Jesus didn't do that. You know, the woman at the well, the, the fantastic thing about the woman at the well, she's not for me. She's not someone who had five husbands for me. She's the person who Jesus was like, Oh yeah, I'm Christ. Like simply told her like, I'm Christ. Like what? Like he's usually like giving questions back and making it kind of mysterious and telling people not to tell, you know, oh, yeah, I'm Jesus and it's not going to matter. Oh, don't worry. This is what's going to happen. There you go. And to me, it's like, you're better than Billy Graham. I mean, free. You talk to Jesus and Jesus just spewed out all this stuff. His disciples don't even know him well enough to freaking trust him talking to you. Anyway, so there you go. Hey, listen, so real quick, um, we're going to do, I'm going to try to do uh, a little bit of Q&A with you guys, um, or not even Q&A, because we just push back or whatever you got for this talk. Um, but because Caleb's not here, I, I have a harder time reading it because I have to scroll right here. So um, we're going to do Afterglow. If you want to do Afterglow, let's do that. Um, Steve Peters says the film made them human. It really humanized them. I'm glad to hear that, Steve, because I, I felt similar way. You know, you can't really be very picky when you're a baker, <laughs> but it did feel very humanizing. I mean, there's a few things I'd be like, Ugh, change this, but maybe I'll do a talk on that later after the film comes out or we'll do like a special meetup or something. Here we go. Jonathan. Oh, we got a long one here. It looks like a really good one. And what I'm going to recommend is everybody read Jonathan's response here because it's very long. Chris says, great talk. Have a good week. You too. Oh, that was really nice. I love you so deeply, my friend. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. I do appreciate those words. Those are very kind. It doesn't look like a lot of people are pushing back or, or doing the, this is where usually the time where we share as a community or talk to each other. But obviously we're, sometimes it's just, we're just done. So thanks for listening, everybody. Um, one of the other things I wanted to mention was um, one of the things is that Steve told me I needed to do more of. Pastor Steve said, uh, Jay, you should raise more money. You should try to raise money a little bit. And I said, well, obviously I'm uncomfortable with that given my background. Um, but it's true. So if you get something out of Revolution Church, if you like what we're doing here and you want to see us do more, because honestly, we could do more if we had more finances to do things with. We don't have commercials. We don't have, you know, this. We we're nonprofit, so we depend on donations. Um, we're we're looking forward to getting involved in the city, finding a place to meet in Seattle soon. Uh, now that it's getting a little bit easier for us to get around without masks. So, um, if you like what we do, you can go to revolutionchurch.com. I think slash donations, and you can make a tax deductible donation. 
and help us out and keep this work going. Um, we're trying to also help get Caleb paid. I mean, we really do work on a minimum budget, um, but hopefully that'll change a little bit. But I do. I am grateful for all of you who do give and donate because it allows us to do this work. It allows me to do what I love. It allows me to be with my kids um, and be an awesome dad as well. So there's two of that. But um, also it allows us to do more to, with the community. We like to do more with the poor. We'd like to do more with different groups. Um, but right now it's just not financially feasible. Um, you know, uh, Caleb has to have another job and, um, do all that. So we, we really could use your support. Oh, Kate. She says, thanks for that. It was really timely for this week. And that makes me happy. That makes me, that's why I love doing this work is because when I hear stuff like that, that just makes me feel great. And, uh, I love this work folks. I love doing this and I want to do more of it. Please tell your friends about it too. Like you say, I can't help financially. That's cool. You know, but you can share on social media. You can share this talk here on Facebook. You can share it on Twitter. Tag me in those things. You can put it in Instagram. Tag me on those things. We'll retag, we'll repost it and all that stuff. You know, we really, you know, that helps so much too is just getting the word out there, you know, and letting more people know what we're doing. Cause you know, if we're going to do a reformation, I mean, I think 12 is enough, but maybe we could use a few more people. You know, it's a big world. You know, so I want to, you know, be a good dad and reform the church, you know, in the next 20 years is kind of my goal. So, uh, and, and not just me, I, I want us to do that. So I want revolution to do that. So here we are, the dream we all dream of reformation. Love you guys. Thank you so much. Have a great week and, uh, please be safe out there. Happy 4th of July. Bye-bye. We'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.